He's a retired police sergeant. All the trauma from the law enforcement combined with the on-duty shooting, the after effects were tremendous upon him. And he's here to talk about his experience and how it led to a book and much more. Welcome to the Law Enforcement Today radio show. I'm your host. My name's John J. Wiley. In addition to being a radio broadcaster, I'm a retired police sergeant. For the latest news articles and much more, check out our website, letradioshow.com. In the Law Enforcement Today show, we'll be joined by special guests. We'll be talking about their experiences and issues affecting law enforcement officers, first responders, their families, their community, and victims of horrendous crimes. Be sure to like us on Facebook. Our page is Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. Check out the daily articles on our website, letradioshow.com. And while you're there, download our free app. We are thrilled to partner with Shatterproof at FHE, the world-renowned treatment program for first responders. Because, at times, helpers need help. Exclusive treatment services for first responders who may suffer from exposure to trauma, PTSD, anxiety, depression, and substance abuse. For free 24-7 information, call 833-776-1420. 833-776-1420. That's 833-776-1420. Or online at fhehealth.com. That's fhe health.com under programs you'll find details about shatterproof contact us from california we have michael sugru on the phone michael is a retired police sergeant he is also a united states air force veteran and we had michael on the show quite a while ago he's returning to talk about what happened to him and how it's progressed into a book and much more michael thanks for being guest on the law enforcement show very much appreciated thanks jay glad to be on it's a pleasure to have you back. And I, it's so important that people understand. And part of the reason why we, we do this show is when there's officers involved in traumatic situations, uh, if they're shot, they'll say the injuries are not life-threatening. That's the good news. They never talk about what they've been through after that or the family goes after that. If the officer's involved in a shooting or use of force, they don't talk about what happens afterwards. And you were involved in a tremendous, horrendous use of force situation. Before we go into that, you did a career in the Air Force. You left the Air Force honorably as a captain and went into police work almost immediately, correct? Correct. And in your career in law enforcement, how long were you on the job? So six and a half years in the Air Force and about 14 years civilian, so 20 half years. Your service in both the Air Force and law enforcement, you you encountered a lot of trauma. Am I correct? I did. I mean, literally hundreds of traumatic incidents. Those things take their toll, and we'll, we'll, we'll talk about that in a bit. I want to talk for those who did not catch your first interview. You had a, an encounter that involved deadly use of force. How long were you on the job when that occurred? So when that happened, I was about eight years into my civilian law enforcement career, but I was a brand new sergeant. So I literally had been just been promoted and was on my second solo shift as a sergeant. I So you were really new as a sergeant then? I was. I mean, literally, I went through an, an informal FTO process, rode around with a bunch of other sergeants, and it was right around the holidays, minimum staffing, 
and it was my second full week as an actual patrol supervisor. One of the reasons I bring that because I got promoted sergeant about seven years on the job, very similar. Uh, we went to uh, about a week's worth of training, management training, and then got thrown into it. And part of it is it's a tremendous juggling act. You you got to take care of your people, make sure they're okay, and then also make sure they do the job the best way they can so the civilians and community gets the best appropriate response all the time. Absolutely. And for me, too, I had the hard time of giving up the proactiveness because I was a go-getter and I loved doing stops and arresting people. And so that was the other difficult part was learning that, you know, my job really was to be the supervisor and not to be the officer out there doing the initial contacts and stops. Well, the funny thing is I never did figure that one out. I, I got better further in my career. However, and right now, there is a Baltimore police sergeant who was critically injured on a car stop with a guy who's wanted for a crime of violence, armed with a gun. The guy took off, hit a car. The, the officer was critically injured. He had 27 years on the job, and he's been a sergeant for a while. And here's the, the scary part, Michael. That happened on my old post, and my career was ended due to an act of violence just a couple blocks away from there. It's it's shocking. You know, people think that this is never going to happen. And the reality is it can happen anywhere at any time. It doesn't matter what city, how long you've been on the job, but we're willing to do that. We're willing to put our lives on the line every single day. Yeah, we are. And I don't know. And maybe you've got the answer to this. Maybe you don't. I don't know that there, for my case, there wasn't a magic switch where I could turn off you're a police officer, you're a sergeant now, and your job is to be a frontline supervisor and never do proactive police work. I never found that switch. Honestly, I never found it either. I mean, my heart and soul was in making a difference, in catching bad guys, and that constant adrenaline rush, you know, the excitement of outsmarting the criminals and catching them in the act. I mean, that, that still is in my blood today, and that's, that's one of the things that I miss most about the job. I got to ask you this. Did you, when you look back in retrospect, do you find that maybe you were addicted to the adrenaline of the job, the rush of catching bad guys? Absolutely. I mean, with, without question, I always wanted to be the first one on scene. And when I wasn't going to a call, I was trying to find a reason to stop somebody and get into something. Yeah. I, I look back and I jokingly tell people, I must have been addicted to the adrenaline rush, especially getting shot at, because part of me thrived under that. And and to be totally honest with you, when my career is over, I really struggled because I didn't know what to do, and I was bored out of my skull. Well, for most of us, that's that's our identity. That's all we know. And like you said, you know, even whether you retire or you're off on injury, that's when officers get themselves into trouble because they don't know what to do with themselves. And, you know, when we're operational, we're good to go. But it's during that downtime, that's when we start to think. And the reality sets in that we're no longer part of this profession. The other thing, too, is before we get into the incident in your career, uh, there's a big parallel. And I've known Michael quite a while. There's a big parallel that when I knew my role as a cop, I knew what I was supposed to do. I knew the patrol tactics, the procedures, the requirements, the law, all those things. And I knew where I fit in. I knew how to do the things. When my career was suddenly over and I was sitting around, all I could do was think. And what wound up coming to my head is, I overused term, flashbacks. 
thinking about stuff that occurred in the past, whether I wanted to or not, uh, sleep disruption, nightmares. They were going on before, but all that was very... was rearing its ugly head. The more time I had to think, the more I thought about things that were not good for me. I couldn't agree more. I mean, to this day, I still have constant nightmares. I still have issues with sleep and there's faces and scenes that I can just not, I can't get out of my mind. I mean, I can see them as clear today as when they happened many years ago. And I've been working on my recovery for post-traumatic stress for years now. And like I said, some of these things will never go away. I've kind of accepted they're part of the territory. They come with the territory. Uh, one of the things that we say quite often in the show is, you know, I'm damaged goods. I'm okay with that. It's not a sympathy thing. I feel sorry for me thing. And by the way, being dinged up, having dents doesn't mean you're worthless. And here's an analogy I use all the time. NASCAR races. Quite often the car that wins the race has lots of scratches and dents and dings on it. Absolutely. And the facts are that, you know, we are dinged up, we are damaged, but I think a lot of that actually brings us strength. And I look at my life where I am now today and compared to when I was on the job and all of those things have given me a different perspective. They've given me a whole different view on the world. And and I think it's actually a strength. I believe it is too. And it becomes part of our DNA. We're talking with retired police Sergeant Michael Sugru on the law enforcement today show. He is the author of the book, relentless courage. When we return, we're going to talk about the shooting incident and more and how it impacted him, his family, and what he's doing about it today. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Every day you put on your uniform and go to work, someone may be counting on you to be there for them in a life or death situation because emergencies can happen at any time and to anyone. The question is, where do first responders turn when they are in crisis? At FHE Health, our specialized treatment program has helped many first responder families successfully manage PTSD, addiction, and other mental health issues. Struggling? Call FHE Health today at 833-776-1420 or online at FHEHealth.com. Are you wondering where you can find more great podcasts? Head to LETRadioShow.com, click Be Heard, and discover other fantastic podcasts like this one. Also available on our free app, all at LETRadioShow.com. Return conversation with Michael Subaru on the Law Enforcement Today show. He is a retired police sergeant from California, Walnut Creek Police Department. He had a distinguished service medal. He's also an Air Force veteran, honorably discharged at the rank of captain in 2004. And he was diagnosed with post-traumatic stress disorder, which has led to a lot of work that he does to recover and help others. And his book, Relentless Courage, for when they break Michael, we're talking about your career, and there came a point you were promoted to sergeant, your second shift as a sergeant, and the nightmare scenario occurs, correct? Something I never imagined. I mean, literally, we we talk about anything can happen, but this was the worst night of my career. What happened? So literally, it was our Friday. We were a couple hours from going off duty. It was right after the holiday, and so the shift was just quiet. I mean, nothing was going on the entire shift. And out of the blue, the alert tones come on the radio. Dispatcher starts screaming, 
and she puts out on the radio that there's a man and a woman barricaded inside a condo, and there's a man with a butcher knife. And at that moment, I just remembered the hairs on the back of my neck started up, and I started just driving as fast as I could getting to the scene. And I literally arrived in a couple of minutes, and I was the first one on scene, and I didn't know where this address was. And as I got out of my car, the dispatcher puts out again that units, units, there's a struggle, there's a struggle. And she loses all contact with the couple inside. And at this point, my partner and I just start running towards the sounds of the scream. We can hear a woman in the distance just screaming for her life. We end up getting to this open courtyard of this condominium complex, and it goes dead silent. Eventually, we find the condo, and we notice there's a huge louver window that's shattered inside the condominium. And we know we've got more officers coming, but we got to get inside because we don't know if this couple is bleeding or dying out or has been killed. And so her and I go in, and at first we don't see anything. It's just dead quiet. Eventually, we get to the bottom of the stairs. We've got our guns out. We're announcing ourselves, police, police, come out. Show us your hands. And initially, there's nothing. And then seconds later, a male subject comes out at the top of the stairs, just sweating profusely. His eyes are wide open. And he's just staring straight through us as if we're not there. Initially, we can't see his right hand. And again, we're giving him commands, giving him commands. Eventually, he comes out a little bit further. and We can see he's got a full-size butcher knife in his right hand. At that moment, we're saying, drop the knife, drop the knife. Again, no reaction whatsoever. And then he puts the knife up in a stabbing position and starts coming down the stairs at us. At that moment... We fired our weapons. Another officer fired his taser. We didn't know if we hit him. We didn't see any injuries. He's now at the bottom of the stairs. And all we know is he's between us and the couple that's barricaded inside a bedroom. And he still has the butcher knife clenched in his right hand. Now just one of the officers and I are literally just a couple feet from the subject. And we're telling him, drop the knife, drop the knife. And he starts getting back up with the knife. And we shoot again, and literally right in front of us, just a couple feet away. And there's no, no, no nice way to say it, but we had to take his life in order, not just to save our own lives, but the lives of the couple that was upstairs. Yeah, I get it. I, I, I really do. The one thing I, I think that people don't grasp is when I talk about these things, and I hear when you're talking about it, I tend to talk like I'm testifying in court. I just go, here's facts-based, because it's like my brain has the emotional side and the factual side, and they don't commingle. Is that the case with you? It is in most cases, but I couldn't talk about this incident for years without breaking down and literally losing it. And I've gotten to the point today where I can actually talk about it and I can get through it. But when this first happened... I remember my first court proceeding after this, I literally, for the first time in my life, broke down in front of other people in a full courtroom. And I had, like you said, I had testified hundreds of times before that in numerous criminal cases, and not once did I ever show emotion. But this particular time, I couldn't control it anymore. It just came out. I understand. And... My wife and I will watch the news or we'll watch uh, TV dramas. And, you know, the first thing that defense attorneys do when they don't have a case, we always said, 
is they attack the cops and they attack their credibility and they try to make them mad and they try to do that with their witnesses. You're used to it. You're used to keeping your emotions in check and answering the questions. When I had one of my last shootings, I got physically ill afterwards. I can understand the emotional response. Can you elaborate on you're in court in front of all these people and you break down and that's not something you've ever done before? I was so ashamed. I was so embarrassed. I mean, I had my wife there. I had half the admin, the investigations bureau for my agency. I mean, there was a jury. There was the family members of the man I killed. And I didn't mention the fact that he has an identical twin brother. He was there. And literally, I lost it. And, and all I could think about was, what are you doing? Pull your together. Get out of here. And so when the judge dismissed me, I ran to the bathroom and splashed water on my face and talked to myself in the mirror and just said, pull it together, get back in there. And I did eventually, but I was so ashamed. I was so embarrassed. I was hoping that people would forget about that and people wouldn't remember the fact that I actually broke down and cried in front of them. I sometimes feel like I judge myself harsher than other people do. Uh, people, other cops that were in uh, the courtroom, they they probably they they saw this, but I'm sure they had some level of compassion there. There, but the grace of God, go I. Uh, did you feel? And I don't know how to say this, Michael, without sounding harsh. Did you feel ashamed of your your response? I did. I felt weak. I felt out of control, and I started doubting myself. Those are are important words, and here's why. And I know you're going to understand this. You know, we had a saying back in Baltimore, uh, when really bad stuff happened, they'd say, suck it up, you're the police. And that's how they pronounce police there. You're the police, you've got a job to do. You can mourn, you can lick your wounds later. We never wanted anyone to see us break down, get angry, lose our stuff, anywhere on a call in front of people i cried so many times in a patrol car but if people caught me i would be you know quickly trying to gather together so they would never know absolutely we go out there every day as soon as we are in that locker room we put that vest and that uniform on we've got to go into operational mode like you said and we're the ones that when you call 911 we've got to come to the scene and see the worst of the worst and we have to take control and we have to maintain control and if we're to lose it in front of them that's not good. We're going to lose that control that we need to take. No. And yeah, control is a thing that, that psychiatrists and psychologists and therapists don't like that term control as part of what we did. And want to control the situation, control the people in it, and control yourself. This is Law Enforcement Today's show. Return to our conversation with Michael Sugru, a retired Walnut Creek Police Department sergeant and also author of the book, Relentless Courage, Winning the Battle Against Frontline Trauma. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Missed an episode of Law Enforcement Today? You don't have to anymore because now you can listen to it on Podopolo, the free new app that makes listening anytime, anywhere so easy. Catch up on shows you've missed and chat with John J. Wiley right there too. Download for free on the Apple or Google Play stores. That's Podopolo. And John J. Wiley wants to hear from you inside Podopolo. 
What does it take to be a hero? Some say sacrifice, others courage or strength. We see all these things in men and women in our first responder program at FHE Health. The courage to ask for help when you need it. The strength to believe healing is possible when you feel hopeless. The sacrifice to come to treatment because your family and community are depending on you. Heroes overcome. For more information about our specialized addiction and mental health treatment program for first responders, call FHE Health at 833-776-1420 or online at FHEHealth.com. Return of conversation with Michael Sugru on the Law Enforcement Today show. Michael is retired police sergeant, retired from California. He is also a U.S. Air Force veteran, honorable discharge in 2004 at the rank of captain. And he served with the was Walnut Creek Police Department. For when to break, Michael, you're talking about this shooting. And the, the guy died, and you're in court, and you're you're giving your testimony in court and you lose it you break down you get emotional all those things happen i understand it but you said you were ashamed or you felt ashamed about your response did you feel people were judging you harshly based on that not initially but there was an incident that happened a couple weeks after that court proceeding and at the time i was a brand new sergeant i was on probation You know, we hadn't had an officer-involved shooting the entire time I had been at that agency. The last one was like 12 or 14 years earlier. And so we went through this proceeding. We actually got the best possible finding. And I I thought for sure that, you know, things are going well. I mean, like I said, we saved lives. We got the finding. And a supervisor actually called me into the office. And I was expecting to get accolades or kudos or, you know, great job. And as soon as I walked into this office, there was three administrators, and I could see right away that the facial expressions, that this was not good. This was not going to be an uplifting, positive meeting. And so they asked me to come in and close the door, and I sat down. And being a prior military guy, I was a yes, sir, no, sir type of guy. I never questioned authority. I never spoke out or up if you all ranked me. And so as I'm sitting there, the first thing that happened was they actually questioned the genuineness of my emotions. And what I mean by that is they both said directly and indirectly that I was either acting or putting on a show for the jury. And I I was absolutely in shock. I mean, I couldn't believe this because I was already ashamed and embarrassed. And here, my leaders, my family are now questioning my very integrity. That's one of the worst things that could happen. And I'm, I'm sitting here imagining as you're telling a story. By the way, when you're sergeant, it's usually you're, you, usually officers outrank you, so lieutenants, captains, majors, whatever it might be. Every department's a little bit different. For them to sit there and make judgments based on where, first of all, were any of them in court when did they they see this, or did they get it second hand. They're actually all in court, but the caveat is none of them had ever been involved in an officer-involved shooting. I was going none to of say them that. have ever had to take a life. Well, yeah, none of them. Most people that get promoted to higher ranks in, in most agencies nowadays, what we used to call them were more mobile report takers. They they were the last ones to show up on hot calls. They never got bloody uniforms. They never got complaints. That's how they got promoted. And they were the last ones to be able to understand when, you know, what hit the fan. Exactly. They didn't have a clue. 
and yet they're your bosses and you respect chain of command. Absolutely. And I wasn't going to question it. And that's why instead of asking for help, like I should have, and that was one of my biggest mistakes is I should have stood up for myself, raised my hand and explained at that point how my life was literally falling apart. But I made a conscious decision that I was going to prove them all wrong. I was never going to show emotion again. And I was going to get through my probationary status and just press on with my life like nothing happened. And this was in 2012, right? The shooting happened at the end of 2012. The court proceeding was also, yes, in 2012. And when were you called in for command staff, for lack of better words? So the coroner's inquest was about five or six months after the shooting, and this was two weeks after that coroner's inquest. All right, so 2013. It's not like we're not talking about the 1980s. We're not talking about what people call ancient history. Yes. And this is from an agency and part of the United States that's known for progressiveness when it comes to trauma, trauma-related, post-traumatic stress-related issues, and, and being in the forefront of these things. And you, you didn't get that. You get the exact opposite. Well, that's the thing is, you know, on paper, our agency was doing everything right. We had peer support teams. We had peer support training. We had contracted therapists. But the reality was that nobody used those things. Nobody trusted those resources. And so, you know, they checked the boxes to say, yeah, we have all these things for our officers. But in reality, nobody was using it. And I certainly wasn't going to use it. No, because that would be admitting weakness. That'd be admitting that I need help. Absolutely. Not to mention the fact that I couldn't trust the people that were on these teams and the fear of the word getting out and the repercussions on, on our careers and not getting promoted or not getting special assignments. Here's the thing. And, you know, I love police work and I love cops. I really do. If someone is interested in going into police work now, law enforcement, one of the things I tell them is you go to a dentist once a year and get, you know, an oral exam. You go to a primary physician, get a yearly physical, get yourself someone, a therapist, a counselor, a psychiatrist who is well-versed in trauma and see them once a year on your own as a proactive measure. Don't make the department send you. And this way you've got some anonymity and you got some protections, but be proactive about it. And like you said, you have to establish that trust and that relationship early on. That way, when the really big incidents happen, you already have that established relationship where you can, you can call them, you can meet with them, and know in confidence that what you share is not going to go anywhere. How was your personal life affected by this? You, you mentioned earlier you got PTSD. Uh, you would never let them see you break a sweat. I'll, I'll do everything the right way. That's impossible to keep up all the time. Something had to suffer. Well, my, I started having major marital problems a couple months after the shooting. And that's why I actually invited my wife to that coroner's inquest because I didn't have that open communication with my spouse. I made the mistake of early on in my career saying that I would never bring the job home. I would never talk about the job because I thought I'd be protecting my family. And so right after the shooting, I started isolating. I had constant nightmares. You know, I couldn't sleep. I was drinking. I didn't want to be around any family members. And literally, my marriage fell apart. And months later, now I'm getting a divorce. I'm fighting for custody of my daughter. And then I'm starting to have repeated health issues due to stress. 
my father, my stepfather, who was my hero, he was a retired police lieutenant. He got diagnosed with stage four lung cancer at 58 and died months later. And so literally everything in my life started falling apart. And you had potential for dysmary action going on at work as well, too, didn't you? Well, we were under investigation after the shooting, you know, by the DA and by the IA, but we actually were sued immediately by the family of the man who tried to kill me. And we endured four years of a federal lawsuit to the point where eventually I was actually a defendant in San Francisco in federal court in 2016. The reason I bring this up, police or law enforcement related suicide has been an issue for a very, very long time. And there's a triad, and I'm not an expert, but there's there's a few things that, that are in common for most of these. One is trauma-related symptoms, PTSD, substance abuse, alcohol primarily, marital problems, and or disciplinary problems at work. When all those combine, quite often, these men and women, my brothers and sisters, wind up taking their own lives. And some of them do it on a station parking lot as if to say, I'm going to show you what you did to me and my family. You hit it on the head. The fact is, and most people aren't aware of this, but all first responders, especially law enforcement, we are much more likely to die by our own hands than the hands of another. And, you know, you mentioned the obvious example of someone taking their own life in the back lot. But what about the officers who decide not to wear their vest that day or who are driving at a high rate of speed and aren't wearing their seatbelt and hope to die in the line of duty? And that's where I was. I was hoping that I died in the line of duty. I didn't want to be here anymore. My suffering got that bad. We're going to take a short break. We're talking with Michael Sugru on the Law Enforcement Today show. When we return, we're going to talk about his recovery from PTSD and how it led to his best-selling book, Relentless Courage, Winning the Battle Against Frontline Trauma. Don't go anywhere. We will be right back. Flintstone Media has been the digital messaging bedrock of several brands and businesses, serving as a highly resourceful podcast production house and consultancy firm for over six years. Work with a leader in the industry and add a new podcast to your brand's content offerings. From show development and setup through recording and distribution, Jemmy will lend her experience launching dozens of podcasts and producing over a thousand episodes, making creating your show a simple and easy turnkey process for you. Visit FlintstoneMedia.com for podcast samples. That's FlintstoneMedia.com. The place to be online is our Facebook page. Do a search on Facebook for Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. You'll get access to unique news articles, editorials, and so much more. That's Law Enforcement Today Radio Show on Facebook. And if you're on the Clubhouse drop-in audio chat app, be sure to look for me and follow me. My name's John, the letter J, Wiley, W-I-L-E-Y. You can also search for at... L-E-T Radio Show. That's John J. Wiley, W-I-L-E-Y, at L-E-T Radio Show on the Clubhouse drop-in audio chat app. Return to conversation on Law Enforcement Today's show with Michael Sugru, who is a retired Walnut Creek Police Department sergeant. He is also a United States Air Force veteran, Honorably discharged in 2004 at the rank of captain. 
And due to uh, the trauma of law enforcement, the trauma in military service combined with the fatal shooting that you were involved in, you were diagnosed with post-traumatic stress disorder and you wound up having a lot of issues at work, at home, and there's no way of sugarcoating this, is there? No. I mean, I like I said, I, I literally was losing everything and I got to the point where I didn't want to be here anymore. I literally want to die in the line of duty. Going out in, in a blaze of glory, as they say. Exactly. It's the opposite of suicide by cop. It's suicide by bad guy. And I figured if that happened, I'd be a hero. I'd be memorialized. And my daughter was very young at the time. and She would never forget who her dad was. And that's what I was worried most about is that somehow my daughter would forget who I was and how much I loved her. One of the things that, that resonates with me, Michael, is so many guests I've had on the show and so many people we've interviewed at Law Enforcement Today. Just go to letradioshow.com. You'll find some of the articles that were severely injured cops, other first responders severely injured that survived. Uh, many of them with post-traumatic stress-related symptoms. They all said, I wished I had died. My family had been much better off financially than, than me surviving. And part of that is the overwhelming sense of guilt and shame for, I believe, the type of person they've become. Was that an issue for you? It was. You know, I was so focused on my career and on the job that I wasn't there at home. I wasn't present. I wasn't the spouse that I should have been. I wasn't the father that I am today. And literally, I just felt, you know what? They're going to be much better off if I'm not here, and they're going to be taken care of. Yeah, I, I get that. And there, there's there's really no way of saying adequately so people understand the effects of, of that feeling. So I'm going to fast forward. You were having a lot of problems in your personal relationship, your relationship with your daughter. Your marriage was was ending, and you felt like ending it all. I did. And I was actually putting myself in scenarios at work, putting my officer safety aside, knowing that bad things could happen. And it actually was a tragic incident of my best friend trying to take his own life that pulled me out of this darkness. He actually saved my life by trying to take his own life. And that's when I finally got the strength and courage to ask for help. There you go. That's the thing I was looking for. You weren't able to make the progress you've made so far on your own if you could have you would have a long time ago is that a fair assessment it is i mean literally i didn't know about any resources there wasn't anybody i could turn to and now i found out that there's endless resources out there for first responders you know from text lines hotlines week-long programs therapy group meetings medical procedures and, and i've done so many things to get better and to recover from post-traumatic stress and that's what i want people to know is that there's not one magic thing that works for everybody. Usually it's a combination of different things and it takes patience. It takes times. And in my case, there was good days and bad days, but I'm here to tell you that there's a whole new life on the other side of this and I'm living life to the fullest today. Would it be fair to say your life is pretty good today in spite of? My life is as I never imagined it. I mean, I have a whole new purpose. Like, my, my primary purpose in life is to be a father, and I'm a good father today. And that's what's most important to me. It's not my career. And I, like I said, I stop and enjoy things in life. I mean, I'm not worried about 
the job. I'm worried about embracing life and living it to the fullest. So much of my self-worth was based on your police. You're really good. You have a lot of honor and integrity. And those things are still important to me. However, there came a, and it wasn't my choice. My career was ended, but there came a time where I had to make some hard choices. That What kind of life do you want? Now this is not part of the picture anymore. What kind of life do you want? And that sounds like where you wound up. Absolutely. And like I said, I never imagined it, but my life now is giving back. It's helping first responders, my fellow brothers and sisters who are out there suffering in silence like I did for far too long. One of the things I see you do quite often on social media, and we'll, we'll talk about your social media locations in a bit, is you're really big into smashing the stigma. And one of the things that I say is for far too long, we've relied on other people to, to smash the stigma. Bosses, uh, command staff, whatever they might be. I think a lot of the burden starts with us saying, hey, I went through this. I was damaged. I'm okay now. Here's what it took to get okay. And by the way, you don't seem to be okay. What can I do to help you? Exactly. And you have to have that vulnerability. You know, how do you expect somebody to come to you, whether it's as a peer or a supervisor, and have them open up to you and share things if you're not willing to be vulnerable yourself? And so we need to start that at all levels. We need to start it in the police academy. We didn't have that in the FTO program. I mean, we need to lead by example and say, look, you know, I know you're just starting this job out, but let me tell you the things that are going to happen. Let me tell you the effects on your physical health, on your mental health, the effects on your family and your relationships and your marriage. You know, we need to talk about this stuff openly so that they know it's coming. They know what to expect and make it normal just having these discussions. That's the key is you smash the stigma by normalizing conversations about the realities of the job and the effects of the repeated trauma that we see. You know who helped me the most with that were Vietnam combat veterans. And they said, yeah, it was different. There's a lot of things that were different. But they said, you know, we came back home. And here I was, and I was damaged. I had to make some tough choices. And if you want to make those choices, we're here to help. I'm glad you bring that up because my best friend who tried to kill himself was a Vietnam veteran. And thank God he survived, but he actually has a chapter in our book that just came out. But in addition to that, I want to give you a correlation and point out the fact that our law enforcement officers are being treated today like our Vietnam veterans were when they first exactly. came home from the war. I agree with you 100%, and the media is first in line with it. Before, before, There's so much more we could talk about, Michael. And you know what? I have to have you back for a third episode later on in the future. A lot of your Let's personal journey, you wound up writing a book called Relentless Courage, Winning the Battle Against Frontline Trauma. This is along with Dr. Shauna Turner, I believe it is. Uh, Shauna Springer. Dr. Shauna Springer. Yeah, tell us, how did that come about? Ironically enough, Dr. Shauna Springer is from the city where I worked in, but we never knew each other. And she reached out to me a couple years ago, right before COVID, just because she saw what I was doing on social media and the discussions I was having, and she wanted to share what she's doing. And she's a psychologist who's worked with combat veterans and first responders most of her career. So she's culturally competent. She truly gets it. And during our first discussion, she actually asked me, have you ever thought about writing a book? And I said, well, it's funny that you asked me that because other people have asked, but 
I really don't think I have the bandwidth. I don't think I could write a book right now because literally I'm, I'm just burnt out from 20 plus years of report writing and post-traumatic stress has just wreaked havoc on my, my focus and my creativity. And so we kind of left the conversation at that. And a couple months later, she called me back and said, look, She's like, I, I've really been thinking about this, but your story has resonated with me so much. And this is going to help countless people, you know, not just first responders and veterans, but it's going to help the public. It's going to help them see law enforcement in a whole new light. And she said, I want to make your book a reality. And so Doc Springer is the one that made this whole thing happen. And it's been an amazing collaboration. And the fact is that this book is much bigger than me or my story. This book is going to help everyone. You know, Doc Springer breaks it down in general terms so that everyone's going to see why these things have such an effect on us. They're going to see, you know, the impacts of hundreds of traumatic incidents, but more importantly, they're going to see hope and they're going to see a journey of recovery. And they're going to see that it is possible to come out on the other side of post-traumatic stress. And the book is called Relentless Courage, Winning the Battle Against Frontline Trauma, along with Dr. Shauna Springer, PhD. How can people get a hold of you? You're all over social media, correct? I am. So LinkedIn, I'm on there. I check messages every single day. On Facebook and Instagram, I run a couple pages. The first one is called First Responders First. Lots of great information on there for all military, all first responders. And the second page is Sergeant Michael Segru on both Facebook and Instagram. Michael, I want to thank you so much for being a guest on the show. Very, very much appreciated, brother. Thank you, brother. I'd like to thank our guests so much for coming on the Law Enforcement Today radio show. The Law Enforcement Today radio show is a nationally syndicated radio show broadcast on numerous stations once a week and growing. If you enjoyed the podcast version of the show, please do me a big favor. Tell a friend. I'll be back in just a couple days with a brand new episode of the Law Enforcement Today radio show and podcast. Until then, this is John J. Wiley. See ya.